I know some people are very sensitive to it, other people's aren't with the off flavor. So try to find a person that's very sensitive and do your test before the fish uh, go out, just to be on the safe side. So what do you do, cook the fish and then just smell it, taste it? Taste it, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. very important. You're right. One bad fish can ruin a company's reputation or even the farm trout industry reputation for some folks. That's you correct. Know? Yep. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RAS Tech Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Hello again, and welcome. My name is Jean Coden. I am the editor of Hatchery International and Rastech Magazine. We have a unique episode for you today. Um, over on the Hatchery International side, I hosted a virtual event called the World Trout Culture Summit. It took place on October 18, and our team's goal with the event was to bring together some experts to deep to do a deep dive around a specific species, and we chose trout. It was the first time that any of our aquaculture publications had done a paid virtual event in this way. So we wanted to make sure that we were there were high quality discussions going on and that there were speakers that were also thought leaders in the industry. And because of that, exclusive to our RAS Talk audience, I wanted to share with you one of the panels that took place that day around RAS technology. So please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast from the World Trout Culture Summit. We have our final panel discussion today coming up on RAS technology. Our moderator is David Kuhn, who is an associate professor and extension specialist in the Department of Food Science and Technology at Virginia Tech. I'd like to welcome our moderator, David. Welcome to the RAS technology panel. And please remember during this panel to post questions in the Q&A tab, not the chat, chat tab. And today we have three panelists. The first is Craig Copeland, Fish Culture Manager at the Alberta Ministry of Environment and Parks. Our second panelist is John Holder, Co-Founder and Director of Technology at Gold River Aquafarms. And we have Thorsten Veyman, General Manager, Manager of Freya Solutions. Okay, it looks like everyone's, everyone's here. Um, Craig, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little, little bit about your farm technologies you use and some figures. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, the Alberta government uh, has four fish hatcheries throughout the province, uh, two production hatcheries, two brood uh, facilities. Uh, we rear uh, uh, rainbow trout uh, for, for stocking. Our purpose is to provide recreational fishing opportunities throughout uh, the province. Close to 300 lakes uh, and, and ponds are stocked in Alberta. Uh, with rainbow trout. So internally, we have our two internal uh, rainbow trout strains, and then we purchase from the private sector uh, four different uh, strains. We also have internally uh, brook trout, brown trout, tiger trout, which we, we make ourselves with the brook-brown combo. And then we're just in the process of developing a pure West Slope uh, cutthroat trout uh, brood uh, program. Uh, stock about 2.1 million fish, uh, most of the lakes that we stock, probably about 50%, uh, do not overwinter. Uh, so they provide sort of a seasonal uh, fishery. Uh, average size of fish that we, we 
put out is close to 20 centimeters. Uh, we used to stock uh, a real small fish back in the day and now primarily uh, uh, large. Uh, our hatcheries, uh, two, two are on well water, uh, one on spring and one on fresh water. Our hatcheries that the government owns uh, built anywhere from the 1950s to the, to the last one was built in 86. But uh, maybe going back to what Oliver was saying earlier is uh, our government is big supporter of the fish hatcheries and uh, have been for many years and doing a major uh, modernization of our hatcheries right now. Uh, so we've spent well over $30 million on redoing uh, uh, three of the hatcheries now, and we're going out for bid on a, on a brand new hatchery uh, in one of our locations. Thank you. Um, John? Thanks, David. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, the uh, co-founder and director of technology at Gold River Aquafarms, which is based in Gold River, as well as being the president of GALH Consulting. Uh, the Gold River project, it's... Um, we're still in the design phase, uh, but the technology we're going to use is going to go into an old pulp mill. And uh, it's using our modified raceways and round tanks. Our connected load, we've, we've done the preliminary design. And our connected load uh, gives us about 3.6 kilowatts per kilogram produced of live weight. Uh, our water use is about... Uh, uh, 350 gallons a minute uh, for the whole farm when it's up in operation. It's going to produce 3,150, projected going to produce 3,150 uh, metric tons per year. And um, I submitted a PowerPoint. So if you have time, look at that. It has a lot more detail in it. And uh, I, I got to say, uh, I thought I might be the oldest one here, but Phil, you got me beat by a year. This is my 51st year in this business. And uh, I started off with trout in 1973. Loved the industry. Great panel uh, in today, and all the speak speakers today have been very informative. Thanks. Thank you, John. Um, Thorsten? Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm the manager of Freya and Freya Solutions. So we run a number of, uh, of uh, rainbow trout farms, as well as uh, having a company that are building and supplying complete rust farms for, for rainbow trout. Um, in our indoor trout farm, we produce about 2,200 to 2,400 metal tons of rainbow trout annually, and we've been doing that since 2015. Uh, the majority is sold as, as portion size, so four to 600 gram live fish, uh, and the rest is sold for fing uh, fingerlings for export, both for uh, other rust farms or for cages. Um, on top of that, we have out or eight outdoor farms, uh, either running partial or full rust. Um, and on those, we're producing a large fish up to three kilograms. Uh, so the total production is about 4,000 metric tons per year. Uh, <clears throat> all the outdoor farms are all flow-through farms that's been upgraded either to partial or full rust. And most of them have been disconnected from the river, the streams, uh, so they only use groundwater. Uh, we don't have our brood stocks, so we buy eggs from, from some of the major global suppliers. Um, we, we maintain a pretty good FCR on our indoor farm because we make the smaller fish. So that's about 0.9 in average for the year. Um, and uh, we run recirculation of 99.3%. Uh, the rest we take from, uh, from groundwater. Um, and because we use raceways, uh, we have a very low power consumption. So we only use about 1.5 kilowatt hour per kilogram produced live fish. Um, 
but uh, as, as Oliver said earlier, it's, it's with the good technology, so it's, it's down to the staff in the end. <clears throat> That's making a successful business. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna go back to Craig for this next question. I think a lot of us know traditionally trout farming is flow through, um, often using groundwater, especially here in the state of Virginia, we have a warmer climate and we rely on groundwater to keep have um, year round temperatures that are suitable for rainbow trout. So I imagine that with, in your position, Craig, that you have a lot of experience with flow through and RAS. Could you speak about how you're implementing RAS and partial RAS and just kind of give a description of that, please? I'll just talk about uh, flow through. Um, one big hatchery we have here up in Coal Lake uh, is bringing 300 liters per second of fresh water. Unfortunately, they built the hatchery in a lake that is frozen for six months of the year, and our incoming water is two degrees Celsius. So you, you can imagine the, uh, the, the heat that we're putting out. Um, and so part of uh, you know, our modernization of our hatcheries is we're going to put in a PRAS uh, system, partial reuse. It'll be up and running uh, by November. It's going to dramatically reduce our utility bill. Uh, our natural gas uh, bill is enormous, as you can imagine, heating up that kind of water to get it up to like eight or 10 degrees Celsius. So uh, our payback on that, and that's what helped us get financing uh, from the government is uh, gonna be within 10 years. And so we're pretty excited about that. You know, we're talking about 400 to 500 liters per second uh, through the PRAS. Um, the other two hatcheries, uh, the, the wells are coming in where you know, around 80 liters uh, per second of fresh, uh, or so, sorry, it's 95% uh, RAS. And they're, they're bringing minimal flow coming in, but we're using anywhere from 80 to 400, 500 liters per second of uh, RAS. And that really is uh, the way to go, uh, in our opinion. Um, you know, the RAS is, is made for big uh, hatchery programs that are in, in real cold climates like ours. Um, you know, our winter here is 35, 40 below. Uh, it's really the only option we have. We don't have the ability to put out pens and that. Uh, but again, you can... Uh, you can get some exceptional growth uh, uh, with that. And, and we, our big, um, what we really want to identify for people out there is, is to go out and do your research. Uh, go visit a lot of fish farms, fish hatcheries throughout the world. Uh, in North America, we've, we, we've had our staff go and visit a lot of hatcheries to understand. And then when you're in the design phase, is to go hire uh, aquaculture specialists to, uh, to work with you on what you want to achieve. Thank you, Craig. So it sounds that's an interesting perspective because I think of the climate being too warm for trout <laughs> oftentimes, and, and you're bringing a new perspective that it's too cold. And so it sounds like it's going to save a lot of energy for you all. And that's probably one of the primary drivers. Yeah, I just um, want to just speak oh, go before ahead. you go, like our, our incoming water from our wells is not bad. It's, uh, you know, around six to eight degrees Celsius. So uh, for our wells, but certainly from a cold lakes perspective, <laughs> uh, it's not that uh, in the summertime, we get six, seven degree water coming in. Uh, but in the winter, it's extremely cold. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. Uh, John and Thorsten, do you have anything to add in those same um, topic areas? Flow through versus um, RAS? Well, I think that um, the day of flow through is, is rapidly declining uh, because of climate change. Um, I was just over in France in June. They have a very large uh, rainbow trout industry. And it's basically all RAS raceways. And they're doing 75% reuse. Uh, with very good success um, and now th what they have to do now though is the 25 percent that's leaving the farm they have to treat it to keep the ammonia levels down because everything's on the rivers and they're having problems with uh, 
temperature rise, uh, but it's still around 17 is about the maximum it gets, so they're still okay. Um, here in Canada, I think that uh, um, RAS, full RAS, like 97, 98% uh, works really well with rainbow trout. And again, you have to pick the, the correct technology to keep your cost down. And as I was mentioned earlier, uh, being in an area where staffing is not going to be a problem. Um, so I think that's a great future. Both, both systems have a great future uh, around the world. Thank you, John. Thorsten, anything to add? Yeah, I think if I can add something too, I think it's maybe you're uh, saying, John, in, in Europe, it's just it's just extremely difficult to both to be allowed to take up groundwater or well water. It's, it's extremely difficult. And letting it out again is even worse. It has to be cleaner than what you take in. So so the less water you can use, the, the better, actually. So. Yeah, thank you. So it sounds like, you know, um, pollution's a, a concern for a lot of folks around the the world. And I think phosphorus is another really important uh, nutrient to consider. It's often a uh, nutrient that you, just a little bit in the surface water, it can cause an algae bloom. So it's kind of a limited nutrient. Um, and so I think that's a really good point. Um, so with the RAS technology, obviously you're, you're concentrating a lot of these um, nutrients and solids. So how do you deal with that before you discharge at these recirculating aquaculture places? Um, anyone want to take that first? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, now we're we're in the mindset now. There's no more waste. It's another revenue stream, and honestly, the the technologies of collecting the waste and handling it, just in the last couple of years, has greatly improved. Uh, now there's screw presses, there's dehydrators, composting, um, and the systems up there now are very efficient. So as far as the solids go, that's that's looked after. I think now. Uh, but again, it's, it's got to be cost conscious. Uh, we all want to make money. This is a business. Um, it's a way of life too, but it's also a business. And now as far as the, the dissolved solids that go, um, if we tighten up the system the best we can, um, it, discharging it into wetlands um, works um, into the ocean, uh, as Gold River is going to do. We're going to be a brackish um, facility that makes it a little bit easier, but then again, there's there's other technologies we can use to to mitigate the number of uh, the amount of um, uh, nitrogen that's going to go out, as you already mentioned, phosphorus. Um, but that's one thing that really has to look at. Um, the oceans can only handle so much. The freshwater can only handle so much of human intervention. So uh, this is one area that we really have to concentrate on. But the technology is here now. You just got to make sure it's cost effective. Thank you, John. Thorsten, do you have anything to add, or Craig? Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think the the farm we have in the indoor rush farm we have in Denmark, we have to remove everything that from our wastewater. So we have a full wastewater treatment plant that takes away the the solid and, and cleans the water before it goes to. Uh, we have some lagoons. We send it to at the end before we we take it back in. Um, but as as you said, John, we see it as another revenue revenue stream. So the the solid solids are sold for fertilizer or, or biogas. And, and it's the same we see with our our clients in Europe that are building new rust products at the moment. They are looking at at everything as a revenue stream. It's not a waste product, as you said. It's it's exactly it's, it's another revenue stream that you have to deal with. So. We're we're fortunate. We don't necessarily have to monitor our effluent, although we do a, a good job of controlling our our uh, waste. So we have uh, 
you know, like Thorson said, waste lagoon or wetlands in our system. Um, but we're flushing into rivers. Uh, we monitor the phosphorus. We studied that uh, many years ago at Coal Lake, uh, the phosphorus impact uh, on our downstream use. And because of the wetlands, um, we didn't see really any effect. But we're lucky in Alberta, we don't really necessarily have to control our waste. Thank you, Craig and Thorson. Um, I'll go to Craig with this question since he works um, with the hatcheries for um, stocking, because I think of predation being a big issue. Um, can you speak to advantages for RAS in regards to predation? Yeah, I think uh, in terms of predation, we have more predation out in the wild with our fish than uh, inside. So, uh, I mean, if um, the RAS, we're not seeing any kind of predation type of thing with the, with the fish, and whether you're using circulars or the, or the raceways. Uh, so we're really, we don't really have that issue. We grade our fish. So we will grade out uh, five to 10% of our population um, before stocking if we can, if our numbers are there. Um, but otherwise, in terms of uh, the systems, or we have rarely ever have any disease uh, outbreak inside our, our facilities, even though we're on water, uh, whirling disease waters in some cases. Uh, Coal Lake has got IPN. So Coal Lake uses ozone. Uh, our water coming in at uh, the one site at Raven is all spring fed. Um, so we don't have a lot of predation, but in the wild, we certainly got a lot of predation from a lot of birds that love to follow our trucks around. Uh, cormorants is our big predator um, and, uh, and, and seagulls and that, but uh, you know, predation really is not a big, big problem for us. It's funny you mentioned birds following your trucks. I think of down here, a lot of people try to follow those trucks. <laughs> yeah, we get those uh, two-legged, you know, two-legged two-legged predators too. Yeah. <laughs> John and Thorson, do you have anything to add about predation, or as Craig was getting to biosecurity, what are your thoughts with RAS versus flow through? Well, and the RAS is that we design at JLH. Everything's inside basically, and it's predator-proof, um, and we treat the incoming water. Uh, if it's well water, um, we we usually use UV, maybe a little bit of ozone. Uh, so, and we also uh, buy disease-free stock or eggs, I should say. We never bring in fingerlings, uh, just uh, disease-free eggs. So predation is is very little, it, it, well, non-existent really. Mm -hmm. Thorsten, any more comments about biosecurity? Yeah, same here. I mean, we we yeah. I think we you know coming from uh, an old style. Uh, Crowd farmer connected to the streams. There was a lot of diseases, and and now with the indoor us, we haven't. The only disease we've had in the eight years is the cold water disease, which is coming in with the X. Other other than that, we haven't had anything. So I think the fact that it's disconnected from any any streams or anything like that, it it helps a lot. And then of course also the, the general biosecurity in your in your farm, making sure that you don't uh, have everybody running around uh, in and out, and also having a you know. A, safety around you, what you bring in, like like you said, John, disinfect your eggs or buy disease-free eggs before they get in. Uh, making sure your staff is, is changing the footwear. Um, also, I don't know if we're getting into the biosecurity issue, but one thing we've changed from, from how it was in, in, or used to be is that the, we used to have a company come and collect the dead fish. Now we handle them themselves because we don't want that company to come on our farm because they might bring diseases from from other farms, even they're even they're outside, we just don't want them to uh, to, to be at our uh, location. So. Yeah, let's stick with biosecurity a little bit. Um, Craig, how do you deal with biosecurity with your farms, and how does RAS um, help you? With that? Well, um, 
everything is uh, separate equipment everywhere. Um, so really straight, uh, strict protocols in terms of equipment going in certain rearing areas uh, in, in the buildings. So inside the facilities, you know, there's foot baths uh, with Quat Plus uh, that we use. So real, um, you know, very strict standards uh, protocols are in place. Even when we go out and stock the fish out in the lakes, we all use separate, uh, a, an individual stocking hose for every lake. So we buy uh, disposable uh, fish uh, hose. And so it's just one and done uh, so because and that's primarily because of whirling disease uh, is it's so prevalent now uh, in our in our province now in southern Alberta. Um, but uh, tight, uh, like the, the guys are saying, you know, disinfect the eggs when they come in from the different facilities, uh, especially when we're buying them in private. Uh, everything is uh, certified disease-free eggs uh, from their different sources that we buy. Um, so, you know, just follow the same protocols. We're trying to be as chemical-free, actually, inside the facility as we possibly can. Um, but still, when you, we do still treat the eggs a little bit uh, for fungus and that, but uh, um, pretty tight protocols that uh, you have to in this in this day and age. Yes, good points. So um, kind of going backwards a little bit, I'm thinking about source water, you know, so you have sources that come from land, lakes, streams, you can have source waters or groundwater. Um, and so when you have RAS, obviously you don't need as much source water. So I was wondering if you could talk about the issues you've encountered with source water or how you deal with that at your RAS facilities or current facilities that you operate. Um, go ahead, Thorsten. Uh, well, as I said, the, the, the source water we use is, is groundwater and we uh, we don't have any disinfection, actually. It's 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 pretty good. We do uh, degassing and then we have some iron we have to remove, but that's basically about it. So so it's it's fairly easy for the indoor farm. Some of the uh, outdoor farms, obviously, it's it's a bit different. If we take it from a stream, then we have to, we do have to, to treat it in, in some ways. Uh, mm -hmm. So you degas, you degassing for nitrogen and then removing yeah, yeah. ions yes. like iron probably? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, John, anything to add? Yeah, we, uh, well, I prefer borehole water or well water, of course. Um, and then they, there are some leaky aquifers from my experience. Uh, they do have some viruses and uh, bacteria in them. Uh, one case was Vibrio and, and Furunculosis was in the source water. So we, uh, I like to treat with ozone and then UV for afterwards before it comes in. And again, as mentioned earlier, it's, it's small volumes of water when you do RAS. Um, and then if by chance we're using river water or lake water, um, we use sand filter, then ozone and the UV uh, just to make sure. And there's fail safes. Um, if the power goes off, everything shuts down. And then it's timed, everything comes back on, like especially UV light comes back on, then the water starts to move through. Because the last thing you want is a disease in your RAS system. And another thing we do for biosecurity is uh, modulize a lot of things, keep things separate. Uh, every stage is basically kept separate. Even the grow out sections uh, are their own modules and very strict protocols, uh, like, like it was mentioned um, by Craig, separate equipment, for each module um, and when people come in uh, no street clothes they they, turn, they uh, go into the the farm boots um, and uh, some places even use coveralls uh, just to be extra secure that's very important yeah thank you john craig anything to add yeah well um 
sort of go through the site. So at Coal Lake, uh, of course, it's sitting on a, an IPN virus uh, water body. Um, hatchery was built strictly for politics back in the day. Um, so we treat that water, filter it, and then ozonate, uh, like I said, 300 liters per second. We've been doing that for close to 25 years now with, uh, with great success. Um, the, the well water, um, probably the kind of the big flag for us will be, um, is the drought that we're experiencing in Southern Alberta. Um, you know, that's a big concern when your, your wells are underneath the rivers that were uh, aquifers and, and that. So there's a big concern there, but otherwise we filter the water uh, and then all our water, uh, both incoming and, and, and RAS is all UV'd. Um, and so, and, and again, our UV intensity is to kill the, the whirling disease if, if it actually is in the, in the, in the well water. But uh, that's kind of what we're doing. Thank you, everyone. Um, staying with that theme, just for a couple more questions, you know, kind of flow through versus brass. Um, we know we have a we have a person that stocks fish. We have two folks that um, deal with food fish, and so I guess this question let's go to John and Thorsten first because I'm talking about food fish because what you're doing is marketing the fish for consumption. And so when I think of flow through systems, there's, there's very little chance for off flavors like MIB or Jasmin, where with RAS you can accumulate some of those compounds in the water and it may come from the biofilters or whatever, but can one of you please start off and speak about um, food quality in RAS? Well, what we do in our systems is yes, off flavors, you don't want to even have it once because that just ruins your reputation. Uh, so what we basically do, we purge our fish. Um, now the nice thing about Gold River, we can purge them in salt water um, or brackish water, which really helps get rid of the, uh, the um, the off-flavor uh, bacteria, um, but we now that takes a lot of water. But what we also do, uh, our purge water, that's the water we use for our grow-out system. So it's not wasted water, um, and so so usually a five to seven day uh, purge, and we like to keep them. Uh, that's maximum. And we like to keep it down fairly cool, um, like ten degrees C, eight to eight to ten degrees C. Um, just to preserve, uh, sl slow down the metabolism so we don't lose lose a lot of body weight. And I know some people are very sensitive to it. Other people's aren't with the off flavor. So try to find a person that's very sensitive and do your tests before the fish uh, go out, just to be on the safe side. So what do you do? Cook the fish and then just smell it, taste it? Taste it, yes. Taste it. Yeah, that's yeah. very important. Um, I, I have a medium <laughs> sense of it, uh, so don't ask me to do it, uh, but <laughs> try to find somebody that uh, that's really sensitive to it. But you're right. One bad fish can ruin a company's reputation or even the farm trout industry reputation for some folks. That's you correct. Yep. So it's very important. Thorsten, anything to add? Yeah, I think it, two things. It, it, as you're saying, it, one one bad fish can really ruin their reputation. I mean... <clears throat> In Denmark, in Europe, we have a reputation to recover from. That's why most trout are smoked, because uh, rainbow trout raised in, in, in old farms used to taste of, of mud or, or flavor. So that has a bit of that reputation. So we have to show that we can produce good tasting trout to, to overcome that issue. <clears throat> and, and then, as John said, uh, we do the same. We have a purchase section, and that's where we take in all our fresh water. And then we add some hydrogen peroxide uh, as well to those uh, specific raceways to to keep them clean. And then we leave the fish there for only we don't we haven't had any issues with all flavor, but but we have to 
you know, empty them for any uh, feed anyway, the fish. So, uh, so we leave them there for three to four days before we, uh, we sell them off. Uh, so it's kind of the same procedure. Thank you. So since Craig has experience with um, flow through and recirculating, as you move to recircling or partial recirculating, do you have to um, use new feeds for these systems? Well, the government has to do things maybe a bit different than the private sector, but uh, we put out our, our feed contract out for bid. And so we've had the same, more or less the same company for a long time. We do buy from another supplier for our brood fish. So our brood managers like uh, a certain type of company. Um, but uh, um, in terms of flavor, uh, you know, we, we will um, look at that uh, for the, if we wanted to, it's all coming down now to cost. Our, our food uh, budget now is, is uh, you know, my time managing is pretty much doubled up now in the last 10 years in terms of costs. So the idea is now to really drive down the cost is, is how efficient can we get on the feeding of our fish and, and, and use maybe potentially 10 or 20% less is, is really going to, it's actually worth a, a salary really when you look at it uh, from our budget line. If the staff can can save on on feeding the fish, uh, you know, that represents almost a person's salary. Thank you, John and Thorsten. Anything to add regarding feed? Yeah, I think they, yeah, absolutely. I think feed is 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 very critical. It's as I think we all know it's it's by far the most expensive cost of producing the fish, um, and it is important you get the right quality of, of fish that is uh, suited for for the rust systems. Um, but I think the feed, the feed, the large feed companies are very professional. They work as partners, so you can have very good discussions with them. And also, if you have any issues of, of what you're seeing in your system. Um, and the other thing I want to add also is that it's also important you get uh, you get feed with steady uh, raw material sources because it it's you know if if you're getting you can sometimes see you're getting a new batch of feed it's the same recipe so you think it's the same feed but maybe one of the raw materials has changed source which means and you get it into the system it's not that the fish won't eat it but it disturbs the biofilters which means the water quality will change a little bit which will then impact your performance for one to two weeks because the, the fish will behave a bit different so i think that's an important thing to add as well so. yeah of course i hit it right on the nail it's the biofilter it's very important because it's another living thing that you have to manage and you are what you eat. Um, I, I prefer um, a lower fat diet for rainbow trout. Uh, not like in the Lang salmon diet could be 30, 32% fat, 38% uh, protein. I like to have a, a 42, 16, 18, um, especially with wrasse. Some of the oils they use aren't um, in Atlantic salmon net pens, aren't being absorbed and they come to the surface. Well, that's the worst thing you can have in a RAS is have oils going through your system. It just clogs up everything. So it's very important. But the company, feed companies are very good right now. They realize that RAS is here to stay and they're, they're accommodating us uh, with, with very better diets than they were five years ago. So it's, it's great. That's great to hear that the companies are working, feed companies are working with you all to, to really fine tune it for RAS. That's really important. So. Um, I just have one last question about temperature. You know, do you have any recommendations for folks in the South or mid 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 America or warmer climates around the world? How do you implement RAS and cool the temperature down? Is is there any strategies that you can recommend? Well, my number one recommendation is rainbow trout. They're quite tolerant for warmer temperatures, uh, but power consumption, energy costs. 
you really got to do a cost-benefit analysis. Is it really worth cooling your water down? Now, there's, there's better technologies, heat pumps and so on. But if it's going to cost you double of your power consumption to cool it, what are you going to get for your fish in the long run? You have to make money. So rainbow trout compared to other trouts, like I said, and it was mentioned earlier, up to 27 degrees, that's pretty warm. So look at others, to be quite honest, I know this is a trout summit, but look at other species um, mm -hmm. that instead of rainbow trout or, or whatever, um, it comes down to cost. And um, we all know what's happening down in Florida. Um, <laughs> it's just costing way too much money to cool that water, in my opinion. Yeah, you're talking about the salmon facility, correct? Yes. Yep. <laughs> All right, switching gears, going a little more technical for a little while here. Um, let's talk about the production tank. We have circular tanks, we have raceways, mixed cell raceways, all sorts of different technologies we can implement where really the hydrodynamics comes in play. Is it circular, laminar flow, all those kinds of things. Could each of you speak about um, those different tanks or why you chose what kind of tanks you use? And John, you can start us off on that. Okay, well, for uh, Gold River, we're going what I term the Razway. Uh, mixed cell raceways, I think that's sort of a misnomer because the original uh, mixed cell raceway was a, a longitudinal tank where all the water went out of the bottom. Um, now, the, now, I started off in Razways in 73, raceways in 73. I think they're great. But back in the old day, the top two-thirds was used, the last third wasn't used. So... What I use now is um, a modified uh, mixed cell raceway where you have laminar flow as well as circular. And we can still have the um, the virtual circular tanks within the Razway system. Um, and we can get enough current uh, by by the spray bars and the nozzles. It's all engineered that for different species we can we can make sure that we have good cleaning within two minutes, you know all the the, the feces is out of each cell. And the water quality in the top is the same as basically as the, as the last cell. Um, now that's that's and they can be different sizes um, and lengths, uh, depths, uh, but it's all engineered to work properly. Also, circular tanks. I'd, there's nothing wrong with circular tanks if they're not these mega tanks. Um, some of these tanks, you know, they're 30 meters wide in diameter. It's crazy. Some are 20, 24 meters. 12 meters. I think something that's maybe 15 meters is plenty big enough for a circular tank. It's manageable. Uh, but there's all different kinds of technologies and it's up to your your staff or your manager, whatever they're most comfortable with and the species you're growing. Um, trout do well in both circular tanks and raceways and mixed cell raceways. Thank you, John. Anything to add, Thorsten or Craig? Well, I think we, we obviously, our system is made with, with traditional raceways. Uh, and and uh, I think they work well for trout. It's it's cheap to build, uh, but it's low it's low water velocity, so it it doesn't work well for other species that need to you know higher water velocity. And of course, you have to uh, to make sure you have enough movement, so you don't have any slots of feces collecting at the bottom. That's of course the risk. But but other than that, I think it it works great for us. You know, you have you know fresh water coming in one end and uh, and the dirty water going out the other end. Um, and because we have the Low, the fairly low velocity. We we collect the slots at the end of the raceway with slots cones, so we don't we can avoid the drum fillers to 
to take out uh, the particles, which is a cost, another cost saving both on, on capex and opex. Yeah, so we've got a mixed bag uh, in the in the Alberta hatcheries of everything. So, um, you know, collate they got the old raceways. We're going to keep them, and our our incoming flow into the raceways is going to go up by 200 percent now. Um, that's going to hopefully flesh out the the raceways a, a lot uh, better uh, than what John was referring to in some of his design. Um, you know, because I think you got to sort of balance the cost of you know of trying to make the environment uh, for those fish better, but we're moving now more to circulars, not as big as what John was referring to, but a manageable uh, circular. So our new, our new design at uh, Raven is, uh, is going more to the circulars rather than to the raceways, except for the, uh, the brood fish when we're spawning, we're going to keep uh, the raceways. Uh, it helps in the sorting. Uh, we have a hard time with the, the big circulars sorting the brood fish. Uh, so we do in our new design, we still have some uh, raceways. Thank you. Good perspective there. At least trout are very tolerant to different um, take orientations and hydrodynamics. So um, I'm going to ask a couple questions about um, filtration processes that you all use. I do want to move on to the Q&A. It looks like we have some questions in there, and I really want to engage the audience. But as you all know, the fish excrete fecal material is uneaten feed, and you have ammonia waste. And so we need to use biofilters to remove the ammonia, convert that to nitrate. We need solid filtration to get rid of solids and degas in, add an air, air oxygen back to the water. And we have things like disinfection. Let's just go around the panelists and kind of describe um, what technologies you use and, and why. And uh, Thorsten, if you'd like to start. Sure. Uh, we use a combination of fixed bed and moving bed biofilters for the uh, the also to change the ammonia to, to nitrate and nitrite. Um, and the advantage of having a six-bed biofilters as well is that they take out the smaller particles. So they 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 will uh, they will collect the smaller particles. So when we back flush them, we we get those out of the system. Um, and then we move on to degassing to to strip the CO two out. So uh, that's uh, degasser units sitting in in the water being uh, supplied with atmospheric air. Uh, to strip that off, and then after that we use uh, use oxygen platform, so it's a low head oxygenation. Uh, it's the same place where we lift the water, so we have the gravity to move the water through the system. Uh, so that's basically the that's our water treatment. Thank you, um, Craig. Can you go next? Uh, yeah. So, like I said, uh, hatcheries are all different, but basically on on the RAS, we're we're using uh, drum filters to to take the initial um, waste. Um, we're trying as best we can um, as we're modernizing our hatcheries to try to keep standard equipment so that uh, all the hatcheries are, are utilizing the, the same same type of equipment, uh, using the same kind of supplier for all our UV lights uh, on the incoming water from fresh. And then in the RAS system, um, you know, using the same type of uh, company and, uh, you know, just depending on the, on the amount of flow you're talking about, uh, what type of product they're, they're going to sell. And then injecting oxygen into the into the water, uh, but the moving bed biofilters kind of where we've gone on some of the hatcheries. Um, so it's you know it's uh, each hatchery kind of got to work with um, with what you have. But I think the most important thing for us is um, we've invested in a couple of staff to go around North America and see what's out there. But also when we're doing design, is when we put it out for tender. The companies that are going to bid have to have a qualified aquaculture specialist on their team who has he or she has all this uh, knowledge 
and we really rely on that person to be the 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 sort of the the designer of of of, of the product in the end. We, we provide a lot of input, uh, but in the end, we're kind of relying on that person's expertise. Thank you, Craig. How about you, Thoris? Uh, John. We like the picture behind me. That that's a mixed cell raceway, or the Rasway. So basically, what what it is, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's laminar flow like normal raceway, but we have circular action within, uh, and 30, roughly 30% 30 of the water actually goes out of each cell. So that's where all the solids are collected. They go down to drum filters, uh, solids are removed. Uh, then it goes through the oxygenation system. We use uh, um, an oxyflow from France. It's like a low head oxygenator, but it does require 0.25 to 0.5 bar for it to work. Uh, MBBR is at the far end uh, for uh, ammonia to nitrate. And then CO2, we use um, uh, air discs because uh, everything's on the same plane. That, that's, that's what we like about, uh, about the raceway system. We don't lift water to degas it. Um, we don't use uh, conventional LHOs inside a raceway uh, because the, uh, the oxy flow is uh, like 99% efficient much more than an LHO. And then the uh, water comes back, creates the current, and it, it just goes around and around that way. And it's very good water quality. Um, circular tanks, same idea. Uh, we don't use uh, degassing towers or CO2 towers. Uh, we like to keep everything fairly low so we don't have to have that extra pumping head to lift it up and down in again. So the PowerPoint, I. I attached to the presentation uh, explains a lot of it if you have time to look at it later on. Yeah, thank you. Yes, both Craig and John, I believe, um, provide PowerPoint presentations and you can find the links in the in the chat. Okay, so moving on to the, um, the audience. Um, one of the questions here is, how long does it take in your experience to reach commercial size fish and flow through versus RAS? Is there a difference? And how long does it take? This is an open question for any of, any of the panelists. Well, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, John. <laughs> okay. Well, we find that um, uh, seems to be the the market size here in North America is three to three and a half kilos, and we found that uh, it takes from first feeding at uh, fourteen to fifteen degrees C, uh, sixteen to eighteen months, and we also try to have at least four cohorts a year. Um, so basically from 16 to 18 months, that's your three month period, fish grow on a bell curve. So you're constantly taking off the top fish, um, flow through, honestly, it's, it's temperature and feed, um, in my experience, um, over in France, like go back to France, they get a three kilo fish in 18 months, uh, and it's either flow through or 75% reuse, um, so again, it comes down to water temperature and high quality feed. Thank you. So it really sounds like uh, I saw some shaking heads. Yes. Anything to add, Craig or Thorsten, to that comment? No, I mean, I mean, it, it's you said it, John. It's it's about the temperature and the feed, and and if you can if you can maintain your temperature, which might be easy in a indoor rust system with lower, you know, fresh water. But if you had the right temperature, fresh water, then you know, flow through works great. Great. So. Maybe just put in a perspective from us from stocking fish. So we used to stock a, a fish that was around nine or 10 centimeters. It really wasn't contributing to the fishery till the year after. 
now we're stocking a 20 centimeter fish uh, in say, let's just say May 1st. That fish has grown three centimeters a month in our water bodies because the temperature is really warm. And there's lots of food. So it's not uncommon for our fish to reach 35, 40 centimeters uh, by September, October. So uh, the lake is going to grow the fish in our business. Uh, and that's kind of uh, how, we, how we look at it. All right. Thank you all. Next question is, how important is vaccination for trout and wrasse? If I can start, we don't do any vaccination of, of our trout and, and our shit, so. Go for it. I, I agree with Thorson. As long as it's disease-free stock, good set of uh, biosecurity protocols, it's not necessary. Yeah, we don't do any of it here in Alberta. Okay, thank you. Um, got some comments, like they love to visit these places. <laughs> Well, I like to say one thing. It's harder and harder to get into a private fish farm these days. Um, because a lot of my clients say, we're farmers, we're not tour guides. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's getting very difficult. Um, we still have some that will allow. And a lot of them are building viewing rooms. Mm -hmm. You get in the office and you view it. You don't actually get on the floor. Yeah, that's smart. That's good we, for biosecurity yeah. reasons. Mm -hmm. We are very open to visitors, so as long as they follow the protocol. So. Yeah, same with us. We're open to anybody who wants to visit any of the Alberta hatcheries. Great. Okay, next question is to Craig. What steps are you taking to mitigate mortality due to bacterial cold water disease in your West Slope cutthroat trout production facility? Well, the, the West Slope is just starting up. Uh, you know, we've got to gone into the wild and collected uh, pure uh, cutthroat trout. So they've gone to, gosh, well, over 15 different sites in, in, in Alberta, uh, bringing in the, in, into the quarantine facilities. So all our eggs will come into a quarantine facility and then they get tested for various uh, viruses, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, we haven't had BKD in, in a long time. Um, so the fish that we have in at the Allison Creek cat tree right now, the, the, the future brood fish um, are doing fine. We have them in circulars. And the idea is that uh, they're going to be um, spawned hopefully this uh, spring, uh, first time ever. Uh, and it's basically a stocking program for restoration purposes. Um, we're very involved with the federal government. Uh, and so we have people that are very involved in this with the fisheries program. And we're just there to provide sort of the, uh, you know, the pure, uh, genetics of the brood program keep that pure and uh, we get our direction from the fisheries biologists so uh, we're sort of work with their direction is how it's kind of working but in terms of disease like that uh, we're in pretty good shape thank you and then next question is um, both craig and john's presentations feature the mbbr system which is move and bed bioreactor and ras how important is the mbbr system and do ras always have such a system John, want to take that or? Yeah, well, the MBBR, that's just one type of biofilter. Um, and it, honestly, that's the the heart and lungs of this whole system. You need something that's going to convert the ammonia to benign nitrate. Um, right now with, with the MBBRs, they're, they're fairly simple. Uh, there's good media now. They have a lot of meters squared per meter cubed. Uh, price of the media is coming down. Um, they're easy to manage. Um, and I've had less 
now there's there's other filters like there's 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 trickling towers uh there's float ice sand beds uh there's bead filters uh but they all require basically pumping the water up uh bbr just is like a, on the same plane and uh if if you look after the fish that that basically after the mbbr um and, and proper pH, you know, CO2 control, oxygen levels, and all of the stuff there. They're pretty foolproof, actually, in my opinion. Thank you, John. We've had to, uh, like, those are working fine, in the, the two recent installations. And so it's just a matter of the staff uh, working with them. It goes back to earlier uh, discussion about the staff. The staff are really the key. And what's really important about the staff is if you can keep them, and because uh, in our business doing, you know, it's very repetitive, uh, but it's experience. And, and so we're very fortunate in Alberta to have top uh, staff that have been with us pretty much their entire career. Uh, another question is, how are some smart ways to handle your pH? CO2 control, number was one. Uh, you can add uh, uh, buffers. Um, because the alkalinity is consumed by the, the biofilter. Uh, if you have high alkaline water, well, not too high, uh, that's usually looked after. But again, we're cutting back on our makeup waters. Uh, so you have you sometimes have to supplement uh, alkalinity into the system. Um, but I think those two things are the main thing, CO2 and alkalinity control. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Next question is, um, what tools are used to best judge trout and their saltwater tolerance prior to transfer to pens without some of the obvious cues you may see in salmon culture? Specifically, how may apply to going out in the fall? Thank you. So to pens, probably out to the wild. I think that those kind of questions. We we uh, we sell a number of fingerlings to, to net pens and, and you know they come from, our, our system is, is completely fresh water, so. So they go straight into the pins without any issues. I find that the size is size dependent. Yeah, it's um, true. Yeah. Uh, we, when we were putting out uh, a rainbow trout into the salt, uh, we they had to be at least 100 grams. Had to be at least that to have good success. Thank you. I'm going to keep moving along. We're going to go maybe a minute over. So I'm going to get some of these questions out. <laughs> um, how do you see artificial intelligence playing a role in operations of RAS in the future? Or now, huge. Great. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Um, could any of you speak about tank depth? Yeah. Well, we we use the the class classical ratio, um, three to one maximum of five to one. So that's five diameter, one depth. So if it's if the tank is five meters. Uh, divide that by three to get your one and a half, 1.67 uh, meters deep uh, to, for good hydraulics. And some of these big tanks, um, you know, they're 30 feet deep. Well, it, it just it, it just gets, you can't handle it. So I, I think that the maximum depth is 15 feet for me on a, in a round tank. And a raceway, I think eight, nine feet max. On a raceway, but then the, they have to be twenty-four feet wide too, right? Yeah, we good. have we have raceways that are what are they two point seven meter deep and three meter wide. Yeah, that's that's a that's a plug flow. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so that that's, that's no problem. Yes, yeah, different. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking yes. about you know 
I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. With the surgical <laughs> flow. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a disease outbreak, there's a couple questions about disease outbreaks and disinfection. During a disease outbreak, um, how do you, is there any disinfection strategies you implement to kind of deal with the water column? Basically anything you use is gonna kill off your, bi your biofilter. Um, prevention, uh, proactive, don't be reactive. Um, yeah. Honestly, if you get a disease, like look at the tilapia industry, and I know it's not trout, but as soon as they get streptococcus, they're done. No matter what you do, you basically got to clean it out, chlorinate the heck out of it, let it fallow, then start over again. So this is something you don't want, do not want to do. Work your butts off to make sure that everything is kept clean, uh, a good set of uh, standards of practice. Um, you know, fish are easy, people are hard. And it was also mentioned numerous times here. Fish do fish things. They're, they're, they're taken care of. It's the people who are running your facility is going to make it or break it. And disease, you do not want to bring disease in. Yeah, I agree with John. I mean, we got IPN and one water source. We got whirling disease uh, at two, two different locations. And it's really the staff and their due diligence that uh, make the difference. So I totally agree with John. Yeah. And I think, John, you mentioned something earlier, to have a modulized system. We, we Our farm is, is divided into 14 sections, so yeah. all with a different water treatment system. So at least it's, a, it's another way to avoid uh, everything spreading across the whole farm. So. That's correct. As long as the people adhere to the protocols. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the same kind of question. Um, so if you do have a disease outbreak, how do you disinfect the RAS system and restart it? Well, or, or do you not like what, what, you what do you do? You, you have to, you have to, like, unfortunately, it, uh, you better have some money in the bank because uh, you're, you're going to lose everything. Uh, dep depend, now, depending on the disease. Okay. Um, so you have to um, make sure you have lots of clean outs. Um, so then you can pig the, pig the lines, clean them out. And unfortunately you, you got to, uh, hydrogen peroxide, the heck out of it, preferably chlorine. Um, but then again, it's, it's just a mess because you have to get rid of, you have to dechlorinate it before you discharge the environment. It, it's terrible. Um, prevention is the key. Yeah, just don't do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we've uh, we've chlorinated a couple of hatcheries uh, over our time with because of IPN. It's nasty, but you basically got to, you know, in Canada, you got to kill all your stock. So it's it's not that has that has uh, problems also just the psyche or your staff, but uh, um, you know disinfect with chlorine and and then start over again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a comment here that vaccinations can also be a part of the, that prevention strategy for certain pathogens, but it sounds like no one implements it probably because it's um, difficult to do. Um, but I guess you have different vaccinations. You can do oral feed and stuff like that. Any quick comments on that? And we'll take one more question question and then we'll wrap it up. Well, we, we do vaccinate some for red mouse disease, but that's not for our rust system. That's because we're selling them as fingerlings that go in the net pin. So they have to be vaccinated right. for us to sell them. So. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And the last question, um, what would you see to for improvements in the mechanical filtration in RAS farms? On all my years, I still like the drum filters, but there's saddle decks, so there's, there's other things that you can use. Um, but I still like the... Uh, the drum filters. I'm waiting for an uh, air blade to clean the screens off. 
<laughs> uh, because they do lose, they do use a lot of water. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah the advantage with those would be the smaller footprint and capturing small solids and. Yeah. And also yeah. Uh, we use what they call the valve, the, the vacuum airlift. It's very good for taking out the very fine solids. I, I find it more efficient than a foam fractionator. Uh, it does the same basic thing, but uh, it, uh, it, it seems a better job of keeping things clear. I would just jump on the drum filters. I mean, when you look at our hatches that were built in the 80s versus the, the, the new technology, I mean, the drum footprint is pretty minimal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, versus radio flow separators and, and settling basins. They also remove smaller particles. Is that correct? They're good, but they're, they're, they're uh, flow restricted. Because, um, mm. you know, the, they can be anywhere from a, a meter to three meters, right? Mm -hmm. um, so as soon as you get past the three meter mark, that's 10 feet, that it, it just becomes too cumbersome. I think just that one point I want to add is whoever's going to get into this business, just make sure that uh, your maintenance people can actually get to the equipment, um, right. whether it's with mm -hmm. overhead cranes or whatever, but just getting the equipment out, uh, because I think new technology doesn't last like the old days, uh, getting to the, to the equipment is also pretty important when you're, when you're designing a hatchery. That's a really good point. Any final comments from uh, John, Thorsten, or Craig? Yeah, I'd like to say something real quick. Uh, five reasons to race the race tailhead. Number one, high and growing demand. Two, abundant disease-free ova. Three, well-suited for control environment aquaculture. Number four, institutional knowledge. And five, environmentally sustainability. And the sixth one is they taste better than Atlantic salmon. <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thorsten or Craig, any last quick comments? Come to Alberta and travel. All right. Yeah, or come to Denmark if you want to visit yeah. our farm. So, so, but I think it it, it has great. Uh, trout seems to be a growing market, and, and I think it's a good uh, it's a good alternative to the Atlantic salmon, which has been said already. So. Yep. Great. Well, thank you. You've been an excellent panel, and um, I want to thank the audience for being here as well. And I will hand this over to Jean for closing remarks. All right, thank you again. Yeah, thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed that panel from our first ever World Trout Culture Summit. If you are interested in us doing more virtual events like this, please let me know. During the height of lockdowns in the COVID-19 pandemic, we did a RAS virtual summit and then we did a RAS connector series. Um, I'll share some links to some of the recordings from those events as well. But once the travel restrictions were lifted, we really tried to focus our resources towards our in-person conference. This year it took place in Orlando, Florida in April. Next year it will be in Charlotte, North Carolina in June. Um, but anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I'll leave my email on this episode's show notes. I'm interested to see how many people are interested in us doing some virtual events from the RAS Tech perspective as well. Anyway, extra links to additional presentations that were mentioned in the panel, um, as well as articles and other recordings, other media related to this episode. And all of our episodes are available on our website at rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. That's R-A-S-T-E-C-H magazine.com slash podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media. And follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure. Grow. Evolve.
improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thank you for listening.